Thank you, Deb, for reading the text for us this morning. Um, still continues to be an honor to uh, to present the word of God to you all this morning. And my prayer for us is that we can all, um, like any message, take something away from it today that is applicable to our lives, that challenges us, um, encourages us, uh, and reminds us of God's presence. So join me in the word of prayer um, as we begin our time together this morning. Gracious and holy God, we say thank you uh, for gathering us today. Uh, we are excited about uh, spending some time in your word and to hear from your prophet, Micah. Um, the Lord, we just ask that you open our hearts and our minds to what it is that you uh, want to say to us through this text. Um, and we just ask that you uh, continue to remind us of your love and your presence in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I remember in third grade uh, this particular day because it was one of the worst days of third grade ever. Uh, a kid had gotten his toy stolen um, in class and he went to the teacher crying and the teacher in response uh, began to uh, challenge us as a class to uh, fess up to who had stolen this particular uh, toy from this young man. Uh, nobody confessed. Nobody would tell the truth. Nobody would say um, that they had done it. And this was particularly troublesome uh, because all of us knew who stole the toy. And we watched our classmates suffer um, because he was losing this toy that he uh, cared so much about that he was happy with. Uh, but many of us juggled with the idea of what it would cost us uh, to lose uh the, the popularity that we had in third grade, the affinity for friendships that we had, if we tattletailed on one of our classmates who uh, was fairly popular at the time. So as a result, the entire classroom got punished. We lost uh, recess privileges. We missed out on a... Uh, uh, field trip and some other things that we lost as a result. So the reality for the fact of for us was that everybody suffered because of this particular sin. That we weren't able to say that we didn't do it so we should not feel um, the effects. That, that our teacher had decided that in order for us to move forward because we were unwilling to hold our classmate accountable. That the best way uh, to help this young man feel some sense of uh, justice was for all of us to deal with the consequences. The interesting thing to me, brothers and sisters, is that at a very early age, I began to understand the importance of, of, of corporate uh, community. And the reality for many of us is that I think in a very, very similar way, we tend to practice um, a Christianity or faith life that is more centered on our uh, vertical relationship with God, our personal relationship with God, but at the same time, it is at the expense of our horizontal relationship with each other. 
The reality of the fact, brothers and sisters, I think that we are called to more of a, a crucial form, a form of reconciliation where we are simultaneously uh, both concerned with our vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father, uh, who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. But we are also called at the same time to be concerned with our horizontal relationship with our brothers and sisters here on earth. Uh, I believe that is the reason why Jesus said that the greatest commandment was to love God, but to also love our uh, neighbors as ourselves. That all other commandments hang on these two. And, and he said this when he was challenged about what was the greatest commandment. And so we even see in Jesus' understanding that the most important thing that we can do as believers was to live out what it means to love God and to live out what it means to love our neighbor. Scripture also says this. It says, how can we love God who we have not seen but hate our brother whom we see daily. Once again, there is a biblical reminder that part of our call is this cruciform uh, reconciliation that is constantly calling us to consider our relationship with God and our relationship with our brother. And so when we begin to think about uh, the concept of what it means to be believers, there is this reality that, as again, we are reminded that we weren't meant to do this Christian life alone. And that in the same ways that we uh, share in each other's joys and our, our successes, that we also as a community of believers share in each other's failures as well. I believe this is uh, what we see as the kind of heart behind what Micah is doing in this book. Uh, the prophet Micah, like many prophets before and after him, understood uh, that God was speaking a message to the children of Israel. He understood that that God was saying something important and that he had to get his fellow uh, uh, brothers and sisters to understand the grave consequences of what it meant to continually be disobedient to the commandments of God. I'm sure, brothers and sisters, that there were some uh, amongst the children of Israel that could say that they lived holy and righteous. But even in that individual holy and righteous living, were they or did they have the courage to hold their brothers and sisters accountable who were not living righteous lives? The reality for us, brothers and sisters, is that there are times where maybe we are doing everything that we can to live holy and be holy. But we also sit and are complicit with the sinfulness and the injustice that we see from other folks. I believe that what, or not I believe that, but what is guiding this thought for me today, or what is guiding my approach to this scripture is the question, got justice. Uh, because it reminds me that we are constantly having to be uh, people who are thinking about the well-being of other folks. The hard thing about the word justice is that it is such a loaded word. It is such a uh, a loaded word and it's so easily connected to um, rhetoric that we have a hard time remembering and stomaching the fact that we as a people are called to be people of justice. 
Justice regardless of political affiliation, justice regardless of our own personal uh, views or what we like or dislike, our own personal feelings about individuals or people groups or parts of town or parts of the country that we, brothers and sisters, as a united community of believers, are called to be people of justice. When we look at the first couple of chapters, we see that Micah is up to, leading up to chapter six is doing something very intentional and very specific. As Micah writes uh, this prophetic book to the northern and southern kingdoms, the first thing that we see uh, Micah in chapters one and two is encouraging corporate confession. Uh, he is getting the people of the northern and southern kingdoms to recognize that to some degree that their pain and suffering is the result of their sins. And that in order to be able to move past uh, these sins and this suffering and this pain is their ability to recognize and confess where they have gone wrong. If you read the entire Old Testament narrative, you see that there continues to be this cycle of of of, of God forgiving the children of Israel and then them falling back into the same pattern. So this is no different. And so Micah in chapters one and two is reminding the children of Israel of their sins and then encouraging them to confess. Then you see in chapter uh, three and five that there is this um, encouraging of corporate encouraging of corporate repentance. Reminding them then at this point, after confessing their sins corporately, that they must corporately repent. And this corporate uh, repentance is looked at as them understanding their sins and beginning to see their actions the same way that God has seen their actions and then changing their lives accordingly. Repentance, brothers, is not just saying, I'm sorry. And then moving on, brothers and sisters, repentance is really a call to change our path, to to change our direction, to change our thoughts so that our thoughts are in line with our heavenly father. So that our thoughts are like his thoughts, which allows our ways to be like his ways. We are called to reflect our heavenly father as we are all made in his image. And so Micah is calling uh, the children of Israel to corporate repentance. But the last thing he is doing in chapter six, then, is calling them to corporate action. Because, brothers and sisters, the other reality for us is we can talk the talk. We can uh, we can we can wax poetic about what we feel called to. We can wax poetic about vision. We can we can share all of the, the nice verbiage about all the things that we wanted to do and all of the things that we believe. But ultimately, if our beliefs are not lived out in our actions and our shared experience, then ultimately they mean nothing. And so, Micah, then takes this opportunity starting in chapter six to encourage corporate action. And part of it starts out with the realization of God's divine judgment on his people. In verse chapter six, verse one, it says, listen to what the Lord says. It says, stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the he- let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusations. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. 
in this spiritual courtroom where where the mountain uh, acts as the the jury and God as our judge. The Lord is uh, presenting his case against his children. He is he is presenting his case and reminding them of his 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 disappointment and his anger in the fact that they continuously disobey him. He goes on to remind him in verse three, he says, my people, what have I done to you? Have I have I burdened you? Answer me. Because the Lord is 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 wondering why after he has been so good to them after he has delivered them over and over and over again why they still continue to to doubt his love for them and why they still continue to not follow his rules and his his statutes and the things that he has called them to as a community he is asking my people, what have I done? You have, have I burdened you in some way? Have the things I have called you to, are they, are they too much to ask? He says, remember, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. He, 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 he's reminding them of their story of, of how he has cared for them every step of the way. He says, I sent you Moses to lead you and Aaron and Miriam. He says, if that wasn't enough, uh, my people remember uh, what Balak, king of Moab, plotted when Balak was, uh, was, was plotting the destruction of the children of Israel. But he ended up using uh, the very tools that they wanted to, to use to destroy Israel to bless them instead. So he brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He turned blessings into curses. He says, remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal. Remember that from the beginning to now that I have always been with you. You know what I have done. You know how much I care for you. You know how much you all mean to me and how ready I am to forgive you and give you chance after chance. But 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 how much do I have to do to get you to act right? That's probably the cry of many parents who go through that station in life when they are dealing with a teen or a child that just doesn't seem to get it. That was probably my parents when I was growing up. Couldn't understand what it was that was causing me to be such a problem in school. And I'm sure that many of us, if we take time to to to, to look over the course of our lives, that we can probably think of moments um, in our personal relationships, whether it was our marriages, whether it's our children, whether it's our family members, whether it's our co-workers, that you ask yourself, what else do I need to do for you to understand that I'm here? And so God is is saying the same thing. Like, has my has has my my statues for you become such a burden that there that there that you have no desire to follow me, even after all I've done? He then goes on to say this, which I think, brothers and sisters, is really important for us to get. At verse six, he says, "With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God?" Shall shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? 
So Mike is now listening. He is he is asking this rhetorical question, basically saying what what then is enough? Will will the Lord be pleased with burnt offerings? And we see that at each phase, the offering that is suggested is more and more valuable, more and more uh, uh, um, intense. It goes from um, a single calf that's a year old to a thousand rams, from a thousand rams to 10,000 rivers of oil, uh, from 10,000 rivers of oil to their firstborn son. And then ultimately sacrificing their bodies for the sins of their souls. They ask this this rhetorical question saying, hey, like, are these things enough as a response to the goodness and grace and mercy of God? Brothers and sisters, I think that sometimes this points to the reality that we would rather sacrifice and give things than completely be obedient to God's will. That sometimes for us, it's easier for us to just show up. It's easy for us to give. It's easy for us to just be present and ignore all of the ways in our lives that we are being disobedient. Think that sometimes corporately it's easy for us to have these great missions to support missionaries overseas and do things of that nature, but ignore the very mission field that is in our neighborhood around us. I think it's easy sometimes for us to to sympathize with situations and people that are so far away that it doesn't have any uh, tangible uh, cost to us. But we struggle to connect and lament to the people right in front of us. In verse 8, it then goes on to say this. As Micah waxed poetically and asks, what would please God? What, what is worthy of me coming before the Lord? The response then he gives to this rhetorical question is he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. He says, you, you, you already know he has shown you through his acts. He has shown you through his prophets. He has shown you before what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What is God asking of us to do? And the response is to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. It is, it is this reality that our gifts and our sacrifices apart from changed lives mean nothing to God. That we must come to God both with changed hearts and changed minds and sacrificial giving. And to have one without the other is an incomplete picture of what we are called to in our approach to discipleship. When we think about uh, this first thing that is required of us, the concept of acting justly. The word justice, again, has been uh, so loaded. As a matter of fact, I found this quote that I thought was pretty applicable and it says this. It says, this verse stands as the motto of the alcove of religion in the reading room of the Congressional Library in Washington. Politicians have quoted it often in their election campaigns. 
and numerous accolades have been showered on it. For example, Von Rad says this is the quintessence of the commandments as the prophets understood them. J.M.P. Smith calls it the finest summary of the content of practical religion to be found in the Old Testament. And other theologians observe uh, that the rabbis who commented on this verse in the early centuries of Christian era called it a one line summary of the whole law. That this that this love just love to act justly, to love mercy and walk humbly with God sums up for us the entire Old Testament call. But somehow we often get it wrong. And it's interesting that one of the first parts of this quote reminds us that this verse is in the Congressional Library in Washington. It reminds us that how, uh, I, I believe, politicized our biblical call has become to the point where we as a church don't recognize it. Because this isn't a catchy slogan for a political campaign. It's a biblical call. Act justly. Justice is synonymous with words like fairness, equity, objectivity, righteousness, nonpartisanship, honor, morality, virtue, principle. The, the Bible makes justice a mandate of faith and a fundamental expression of our Christian discipleship. Biblical references to the word justice most simply mean to make right. Justice, then, brothers and sisters, is first and foremost a relational term. That we are called to live in right relationship with God, right relationship with one another, and right relationship with creation. If I was to, 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 to easily sum up what our call to justice would be, I believe that it starts with the thought that we are to treat people Fairly. And that when we see people not being treated fairly, that we as the body of Christ are called to act, to work toward the right treatment of all of our brothers and sisters who are created in the image of God. And the best example of this is the example that he has shown us through his love for us, that even though we are imperfect, that he has constantly worked, that we can be presented perfect to him in the end through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. That justice, that that his sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross was in itself an act of justice toward us. And that we are called to live the same way. But the next thing it says, says to love mercy. And the Old Testament word mercy is translated from the word hesed, which which most uh, correctly means faithful covenant love. And so, brothers and sisters, not only are we called to uh, treat each other fairly. But we are also called in loving mercy to love others faithfully that we should love others and pursue our relationship with others with the same faithful commitment that God has shown us and that to love our brothers and sisters any way other than the way that God loves us 
is to do a disservice to the concept of love itself. But brothers and sisters, we live in a world where love has been distorted. We live in a world where love has been reduced to butterflies in stomachs. When the reality is that our stomach acids won't allow butterflies to survive. And so love must have a deeper meaning that is rooted in God's action toward us. And we, as we are called to, 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 to do justice, to treat people fairly, and to not just talk about justice, but to live justice in our action and shared experience, we are also called to love each other faithfully. But the last thing is this. It says walk humbly. And the trouble with the word humbly in this text is that there is there's not really a, a, a word for word translation. But in Old Testament thought, the concept of walking was really uh, to understand that this walk was how we are called to live. And if we understand humbly more than our uh, uh, earthly definition of it, 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 it more carefully translates when it says walk humbly that we should live carefully according to the desires of God for us. That walk humbly, humbly simply means that we are paying careful attention to God's commands, to God's statutes, to God's desire for us. In our relationship with him and our relationship with people to walk humbly means to live understanding that what should guide my life is my desire and understanding of who God is. And so uh, Micah is answering his question by saying this, like, hey, we can sacrifice rams, we can sacrifice calves, we can sacrifice our bodies. But what good does it do? If we are not living lives that are centered around doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. Doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. We, we can, we can bring the best that we have to offer. We can bring our money. We can bring our bodies. We can bring our sacrifices. We can bring our gifts. We can bring our talents. We can bring all of these things to God. But if that is not combined with changed lives that are submitted to acting justly and to loving mercy and walking humbly with God, then it's simply not enough. Brothers and sisters, the Lord doesn't want our gifts without the submission of our lives. The Lord doesn't want our gifts without our lives being part of it. Ethical behavior and righteous living is of greater value to God the mechanics, than the mechanics of ritual given in routine. Another scripture put it like this. Obedience is better than sacrifice. But how much more powerful would we be, would the church be, if we both lived obediently and sacrificially? That there is a, there's a world around us 
of people who are crying out for justice, who are crying out for the love of brothers and sisters. There is a world that needs us to not just talk about justice, to not just talk about rightness, to not just talk about loving our neighbor, but to actually live it. And what good is words on paper if they never make it to action? The sermon title was Got Justice. My question for us, for our congregation, is do we got justice? Will living into our call of justice be one of the things that defines our congregation? Because the reality, brothers and sisters, like the text says, what does the Lord require of you? This isn't a suggestion. It isn't a best practices. It isn't a uh, light encouragement. Scripture reminds us that we are required to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, your call and the word of your prophets that constantly challenges us. Uh, Be with us. Guide us. Your son, we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to close now uh, just with this song that is straight out of the scripture that we um, reflected on today, out of Micah 6, 8. Um, And so I just invite you to sing along as you uh, catch on. The chorus is a little bit easier to catch on than the the verses. So this is Micah 6, 8.
Receive now the benediction. The prophet Micah poses this question. What does the Lord require of you? To which he answers. uh, To act justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with God. And brothers and sisters, I believe it's our challenge and our call to each other. To act justly to love mercy and walk humbly uh, so that through our lived actions and lives that the world is changed and we are called to change the world and so as we prepare to end our time may the grace of God the sweet communion of his Holy Spirit rest rule and abide between each of us until we come together again let the church say amen